Hey, I'm Florent Martin from the French Observatoire Zététique and you're listening to the European Skeptic Podcast, the real EXP experience. You are listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 64. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jaron Levin and Pontus Bekwan. Hey son, hey son! Sziasztok! Sem privet! Great! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so much for the straight face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tried, it was funny. <laughs> How are you guys? Another day, another dollar and a half. Oh, good, you're making money, that's good. <laughs> making money and making a living, <laughs> two different things apparently, somebody said. That uh, still cannot be told about me, but yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Fortunately, we have this sidekick for you that makes you a lot of money doing this podcast yeah, week after a, week. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, a yeah, yeah. Mine, yeah. Very gold well mine. paid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God. You wouldn't believe it. It's huge. It's huge. The, the <laughs> checks are huge. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny that everyone is doing a Donald Trump impression these days? Mm-hmm. Literally everyone tries to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But I'm. Um, Pretty sure that still Alec Baldwin is the best. Mm. Or oh, absolutely. I, he Has he been doing... I've, I've stopped following the Saturday Night Live. Has he been doing Trump? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. I I actually, I'm actually worried he's going to be locked up soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, or that, that... they will mistake him for the real thing and he'll become the president. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be an improvement, I think. A massive improvement. I do think he's a, he's a very reasonable guy. Anything would be an improvement. Yeah. yeah. Yes. This is not a political podcast, by the oh, way. Oh shit, we're sleeping again, guys. We're sleeping. Stop it now. We keep saying that it's not a political podcast and we keep talking about politics. Stop it. <laughs> so we should stop it or we should stop saying that it's not a political podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I think yeah. I think Pontus is just covering his own backside. <laughs> <laughs> My backside. Backside. Yeah. Not backside. Oh, okay. Um I've expressed this uh, opinion of mine up many, many times that skepticism and politics cannot be separated. I mean, it's a political issue to be a skeptical activist. It's absolutely politics. Sure. I mean, sure. When it comes to uh, scientific things and to... Yeah. Yeah. Good thing we're not trying to lobby in the United States because, oops, <laughs> we would be screwed at this moment. But um, yeah. we could still have a shot at the European Union. And there are several organizations um, t- trying to do something about it. Uh, one of them is um, Sense About Science Absolutely. that has yeah. a European branch now. Yeah, but we are continuing our line of interviews, interviewing different people from different European organizations, skeptical organizations. So this is what today's episode is going to be about. 
But there are a couple of things that we'd like to remind our listeners to. Uh, first thing is how to get in touch with us. And you can email us. Our email address is info at theesp.eu. You can follow us on Twitter. And our, our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. Um, you can also like us on Facebook. Follow our posts there. Or you can fill in the contact form on our website, which is theesp.eu. Um, also, if you're listening to our show via iTunes, um, please leave us a, a good review mm-hmm. and give us a thumbs up and spread the word. Uh, talking of which, iTunes and indeed Amazon. We are still encouraging everyone to go on iTunes and Amazon, find Vaxxed there, the movie, which is um, a pseudo-documentary made by Andrew Wakefield et al. And, and please leave a bad review. So a good one for us, a bad one for them. And if you still haven't seen the movie itself, I still am happy to share a link where you can watch it without paying a penny or a cent for it, because a huge amount of that money would go to Andrew Wakefield, who's accumulated too much of a wealth by spreading pseudoscience and quackery so we we don't want anyone to contribute to that lots of events are being planned all across europe people are trying to to uh organize screenings of the movie and uh those events are to be stopped so if you're around those areas please keep an eye out and uh, try to stop that from happening by contacting the venues and letting them know that this man and uh, his company, uh, they are massively, massively discredited in the scientific community and what they are promoting is outright dangerous Hmm. and it shouldn't be promoted. Absolutely. I mean, and, and often the way to do it is to contact the venue where they try, where they want to screen yeah. these things. Uh, because a lot of the times the, the venue do not want to be associated with this if they know what they have booked. And we have seen that before. We've seen it with Brian Clement and we've seen it also with Vaxxed that sometimes it has been stopped because because of that. So let them know what, what's, what it is and what kind of film it is. And uh, I think the that that will help. Yeah. But there are other events going on out there in Europe that we do want to promote. So uh, uh, why don't you go to our website at theesp.eu and click on events in Europe and you will see our calendar where you have a lot of uh, skeptics in the pub and other fun things going on. So go there and, and check out what's going on. And if you're there on our website, why don't you click on the donate button as well? That'll help us a lot. Yeah, thank you very much in advance for that. If you decide to chip in a couple of euros, pounds. Okay, so I think we should uh, crack on with the actual show uh, that features a pre-recorded interview with Florent Martin from France. It's been a long time that we've been planning to have someone representing the French sceptical movement. So there we go. On every other episode, we usually interview a person representing an organization or project either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. Today we interview Florent Martin, who's a co-founder of one of the French sceptical organizations, Observatoire Zététique. Florent, 
Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. <laughs> First of all, I'm really hoping that I didn't butcher your name and the name of the organization. So this is this is something that I ask uh, of every interviewee at the beginning. How do you pronounce the name of the organization properly? It's the Observatoire Zetetique. Oh, how beautiful. <laughs> on, on the Wikipedia, you can actually play it back, the, the, the name of the organization. So that's a very useful trick. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But... The word zetetik is a word that exists in English as well, but it's very rarely used. So what does it mean? Uh, actually, this, the, it's uh, the exact same thing in France. Um, it's a, a, a word that is very um, not well known, like uh, almost nobody knows about it. And that's <laughs> that, 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 that was an interest for us, is that uh, the fact that nobody no, knows these words uh, gives you the opportunity to explain it. And um, and if you use the word skeptic in French, it means basically that you, you don't believe in anything. When you say I'm skeptic, mm. you know, it means that uh, uh, I, I don't believe so. And we wanted to... To, um, to use another word to make sure that we don't consider stuff in, in we don't consider the things in, in terms of uh, beliefs so uh, saying that I don't believe uh, is just as stupid for us as saying I believe you know so we wanted to make sure that using a word that people don't know uh, gives an opportunity to uh, raise people eyebrow and go like what is the ethique and then you have like a 20 second uh, gap of attention that you can use to actually explain what is skepticism what is the, the scientific method and how we use it to and apply it to um, the, the study of a paranormal phenomenon. And actually, the word is pretty old. Uh, it it's about two thousand year old actually, and uh, it comes from the Greek zetain, um, uh, which means um, to seek, to search, to 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 look for, and. Um, I think this word's been like discarded for quite a long time, and it was uh, raised up in France uh, by um, uh, Henri Brock, who's most likely the uh, like first well-known skeptic in uh, in France, and uh, he probably got that from the uh, the, the you know the uh, Zetetic magazine that was uh, uh, the uh, American uh, edition. And uh, he actually brought that word back to life, and we, you know, we just did follow the steps and uh, and uh, took it over and uh, make it our own. So it sounds sounds like research and seeking is is what you're focusing on, rather than doubting that things are are true. Is that right? Yeah, the thing is, you know, you can be you can be skeptic uh, sitting in a couch, you know, uh, look at the stuff and say, you know, you know, doubting is one thing, you know, and looking at the things um, with a skeptic eye is one thing. But we wanted to uh, like move a step further, and instead of just doubting, we just wanted to uh, like experiment. So that's one strong thing about the observatory zetetic is we try to. Uh, keep on um, doing investigation and uh, so every time someone comes with a funny claim we try to uh, set up like some discussion with the guy and find uh, some experimental condition that allows us to um, actually perform a test and uh, and that's something that we, we, we don't just write articles and uh, and say what we think about the paranormal stuff we, we actually test the claims and um, and I think that's uh, very important to do that. Um, Florent, you were there from the uh, beginning um, of this organization. Can you tell us a little bit of, about how it came to be? Um, what was the reasons behind it and drive? 
I think I've been skeptical my life, you know, and uh, and I didn't know that uh, this philosophy of this way of doing and thinking and uh, and and actually uh, setting up uh, experiments um, is very universal. Actually, you, you you know, the more I travel and the more I discuss with people coming from uh, other places, uh, I realize that we are doing the exact same stuff in the exact same way. And actually, this way of thinking is really old. And, you know, it's like. It, when you look at the the history of skepticism, you realize that it, it's not century old; it's a it's a millennium old. And uh, mm-hmm. and at one point, you realize that well, you know, I'm not the only one to think this way, and maybe we should gather and uh, and, and and do something together, try to structureize this thing and uh, write article. You know, when you realize that what you've just learned and considered as fresh is actually very old, you say, well, how come uh, haven't I come across this thing earlier? And when you realize that you're not the only one to think this way, you, you at one point or another, you really, I mean, it's very important that you gather uh, people who are willing to make an effort to make this uh, more spread. And uh, this is how it came to life, actually. Mm-hmm. Actually, at the really beginning, it was kind of a, you know, students who are doing PhDs, uh, they can also have, uh, in France, uh, it's they... While they are uh, teaching and doing their research for their PhD, uh, they have uh, kind of um, workshops uh, that they can attend. And uh, one of them was uh, basically uh, set it up by um, uh, one of the PhD students and uh, about skepticism and, and zetetic. And the main goal was we have a science fair that's a national event in France, and um, they wanted to do something about skepticism on, on that occasion. And so basically, the really beginning of the uh, Observatoire Zetetic came from this envy of um, uh, doing an event at the uh, science fair, how, how, national science fair. When was that? How long ago was it? I think that was like, I would say something like 2000-something, you know. I, I saw 2004, Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, that's what we. That's when the uh, legal um, Observatoire Zetetic was born, but uh, we actually started a little earlier than that. Okay. Yeah. Later on, we'd like to talk about a couple of things that uh, the organization does and uh, what topics you cover. But um, I'd like to ask um, a bit more personal question. You mentioned you've been a skeptic all your life. So what is your background and how did you get involved in the actual skeptic movement? Uh, my background is uh, I, I'm, I've been doing uh, electronics at, at, at university and then I uh, moved to England to uh, continue my studies. Then I moved to the US for another two years to, uh, to work in the Silicon Valley. And I, uh, so basically, um, I, I would say what's, what everyone would call the science guy, but then I realized that this, you know, science is not only uh, like you know, solving equations and this kind of thing. And, uh, mm. and some of the most advanced guy uh, in terms of setting up experimental uh, condition at the observatory they don't they don't they don't know shit about science you know they 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 don't they, don't, they can't solve equations or these kind of things uh, but the thing is they are fully aware of uh, the bias that you can fall into uh, when when doing these kind of things and, and they are really good scientists even though they don't they, they can solve equations and, and that made me realize that you don't need to solve equation to be a great scientist and, uh, and on the other hand some guys are really good at solving equations and 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 are really bad at setting up uh, clean experiments simply because for instance if you're if you're a physicist or a chemist you know the the the, the molecules never lie you don't you don't have to do a double blind for that kind of uh, experiment so the, the most of the of the time the you know the the hardcore scientists they, they, they don't know how to set up a, an experiment with a, a 
uh, when where human is involved. And um, when I, I said I, I felt like I was a scientist all my life because uh, I realized pretty early in my life that there are scams. And uh, my dad was uh, a commercial guy, you know, uh, selling stuff. And uh, I realized that uh, he was regularly talking about commercial scams. And um, it took me a while, to, uh, a while to realize that uh, on top of the commercial scams, uh, there are some scams that are actually intellectual scams, where you are intellectually abused and you are being sold some uh, ideas that are incorrect. And nobody points the finger at these kind of uh, intellectual frauds. Th th that's when I actually discovered that uh, some people actually address these uh, kind of frauds. And uh, it's uh, mainly the uh, skeptical movements. And uh, when I realized that, you know, uh, I felt like, uh, well, I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. We all know that that's feeling. Great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty exciting feeling. We've all been there. Yeah. When was that, that you realized all that? Uh, that was soon after I came back from the US. That was probably in uh, yeah, two, two, 2000, 2000 something, yeah. How mm. old are you, if you don't mind asking? I'm 43 or 44, okay. 40, something like that, yeah. Yeah, just a kid. <laughs> yeah, a kid, yeah. <laughs> Says the old guy. Oh, be quiet, you grandpa. <laughs> so tell us, what, what interesting investigations have you been engaged in or been a part of? Uh, the most interesting things were actually uh, field trips and experiment with uh, uh, so-called gifted uh, people. It's not really so much about, you know, uh, passive archive search and uh, these kind of things or writing articles. It's uh, mainly discussing with people and setting up experiments, running the test and uh, going on the field. You know, this um, famous uh, like uh, 2012 uh, end of the world uh, prediction mm. that was supposed to uh, something would happen in Bugarash. And, uh, and we had to go there. We, we are probably the, uh, as far as I know, one of the only uh, skeptic association who uh, actually uh, caught uh, a ghost. Uh, a white lady, I don't know how, if you say that. Right. You know about the white lady? Yeah. 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 And this, this was a case where uh, we were called because the, uh, a ghost was uh, showing up right next to a church um, every night. And, you know, every time you have a story about ghosts, basically, the, you know, the ghost appear once and then it's gone and, uh, and, uh, and the, the, the story is finished. And, uh, and there, the, the, when we were called, the, the, the ghost appeared every night and for like three or four times in a row. And uh, when we heard about that, you know, we, we just couldn't do without going there. And uh, so we, mm. six of us uh, rushed in a car and we uh, crossed the country in uh, like <laughs> 600 kilometers. And we spent three days on, on, in this uh, small village to uh, try to find out what, what, what this, what this uh, ghost story was about. Mm. And we actually caught the ghost. <laughs> oh, can't wait to hear what that was. <laughs> was it like a, a thing in... Uh, uh, Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo, yeah. Uh, that was 100% Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it couldn't be more Scooby-Doo than it, than it was. <laughs> and they would have gotten away with it if it wasn't been for your pesky kids, yeah? Oh, yeah, it was crazy. Oh yeah. it, was, uh, it took us really a long time to, to actually unfold the whole story and to understand what was going on because the, the whole village was, uh, was covering the, 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 the story. And uh, it was really a crazy story. I couldn't go in further details right now because it's a very long story. But, uh, but we took the pictures and everything and it was really, uh, really, really an interesting story. The thing, you know, when we stepped back to it and uh, we realized that if we hadn't been there, 
and investigate. Uh, this thing could have this this, this uh, whole story could have uh, ended up on on um, on TV, you know, on this uh, sure. you know, yeah. 30 most mysterious story in France, and uh, because they, 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 there's video on YouTube, you know, where kids actually uh, captured the um, uh, videos of the ghosts and uh, these videos being watched, and uh, and then like mm. the, the, there was plenty of. Um, Psychics uh, that went around the story and, uh, and, and created some crazy uh, testimony about it. And uh, it's a good thing that we, uh, we actually uh, wrapped the case because uh, it could have really gone wild. Hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Talking about the stories that uh, media then picked up and ran with it um, like crazy, <laughs> there was a uh, very famous UFO case in Trans and Prov- Provence. In nineteen eighty one. I know it was a long time ago. Is it true that uh, physical evidence were found of the visit from the aliens back then? Because I know that uh, the uh, your organization was involved in uh, writing up uh, about it. Uh, yes, actually, um, I'm not an expert on this story. I don't I, I don't know the full details, but uh, you know we have a, like a um, governmental agency that takes care of these uh, sightings. And uh, they register everything, but their uh, basically their files were closed. And in uh, I can't recall exactly what year, but uh, a couple of years ago, the, uh, the the archive got to be open and freely accessed. And three guys uh, actually started searching into it and see uh, if there's anything that we could could be done to actually investigate a little further that was done at the time. And they wrote a book with the uh, I, I don't recall exactly it was like the ten most abuse cases in France, the the, the ten most well known cases in France and see if we could lay some skeptic uh, eye on uh, on this uh, and they wrote a book and we managed to negotiate with the uh, editor to make sure that uh, at least on our website you can have a, a, a free version of it on a PDF format and uh, so you can read the whole story on uh, on, on these uh, 10 most uh, famous cases in France on the website. So it was basically revisited. This story from 1981 was revisited by the organization when it came to be. Yes, when they when the the, the, the full uh, story got to be released, yeah, mm-hmm. they managed to have a look at it and uh, and and challenge the testimonies and uh, these kind of uh, of things. But the, the the thing is, before the files were released, a lot of books were actually written, you know, with some... Um, and the, the story was already quite challenged uh, before mm-hmm. the, the the full archive got to be opened and, and accessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we already knew about okay. it. How do you actually decide what, what, what you investigate as an organization? Do the, the topics you work on indicate somehow what's trending in France or you just pick pick a few that that interests you the, the the members or how does it work well two things are first when there's something that is uh going being in the medias you know you just cannot do without uh, like writing something about it so it's, mm. if it's in the news we, we we try to to cover that but the thing is one thing that we do is we we don't challenge talking about psychic or people who are uh, pretend to be gifted we we don't challenge them we 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 never go uh like saying i dare you to uh, to do that in a in, in a lab uh we actually offer uh, our expertise mm-hmm. uh, on this kind of topic and, and, and people actually contact us and uh, they go like, well, I'd like to be tested um, and I'd like you to put your knowledge on uh, setting up uh, proper uh, scientific conditions uh, to, and I'd like to be tested basically. So 
in that kind of condition, that's that's the we don't challenge people. We just accept uh, to um, to perform tests with people who are willing to know more about their own practice. Mm. So when you do investigate, uh, do you try to make the results uh, available in different channels? Do you do a lot of work with like local French media? TV, radio, newspapers, or, or what? We make a report that uh, with uh, all the, um, you know, how we got contacted, uh, what's the claim, uh, what's the uh, hypothesis that we're uh, trying to test and um, uh, explain the, the condition of the experiment. Then we run the test. Then we published full exhaustive uh, hand note that we uh, actually used with the statistic result. Then we published that on our website. Uh, the thing is, the, the very first experiment that we did was with the um, radiesthesist. I don't even know the word in English. Uh, it was the guy doing some uh, uh, like uh, ma- magnetic uh, healing, you know, uh, like therapeutic touch on this kind of thing. Oh, okay. And and uh, we we covered that uh, pretty neatly. And uh, some, I think, th- I think it was a Canadian guy who actually uh, wrote about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he actually translated the publication that we made. And uh, our very first experiment got to be translated and published in the um, JRF uh, publication. So James Randi wrote an article about us. Okay. One thing that we try to do is um, that is not very often the case in the Skeptic Association is we, we try to um, to make sure that we have no disrespect whatsoever uh, with the people we work with and um, we have a very good relationship uh, before and after the experiment mm-hmm. even though uh, all the experiment that we've done so far uh, ended up being a failure for the, the the, the person that was tested, but uh, we have good relations with them simply because you know that's the Phil plate said something like uh, "Don't be a dick." Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we try not to be dicks. Right. Uh, that, so yeah. you're basically not debunking them. You are honestly testing them, and this is why there is no ne- not necessarily a good amount of tension. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Generated. Okay. That's a very nice approach. Yeah, if you if if you go hardcore into it, uh, like you you tend to uh, crystallize people in their own opinion, and uh, and it's not very productive in terms of uh, pedagogy. Is it a word? Like yeah. Mm. <clears throat> and um, so we try to be as clean as possible in terms of uh, the way we present things to make sure that people focus on the actual argument then rather than talking about the form and, uh, you know, like discussing about, oh, he used this word, this word is uh, condescending or... And, and we, don't, we, we, don't, uh, we don't want to pollute our productions with uh, condescending uh, words or, or positions that uh, would um, get the focus out of the actual argument. Does that mean that the message of someone failing in an experiment get through properly? So, I mean, I see when when we don't debunk something, I would think that there is an opportunity for the people being tested to interpret as that, okay, this is this was just one little failure. I usually can do this, but, but now I cannot. So there is still room for the whole thing to be followed and accepted widely as something that works, even though your results show that it doesn't work? Um, actually... Do you think the message gets through properly? Yeah, we cover that, actually, because we have a... Um, okay. Let me explain how we actually uh, uh, read a full experiment when someone come to us. 
first thing we do is uh, we take really we, we never run an experiment the first time we meet someone we actually take the time to actually discuss with the guy and ex and and, and um, have him to talk like 90% of the time to make sure that we we fully understand how we actually practice Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, for the uh, like the therapeutic touch or the, the psychic healer, uh, the guy would. Um, it's important for us to know how long it. Uh, what, what exactly is is uh, his uh, talent? Uh, how long it takes for him to um, to uh, make a, a diagnostic? Can he like perceive something through the clothes, or does the person have to be naked? Does the person stance when he's doing his diagnostic, or is he like laying down on a like a um, table? And um, does he have to like energetically clean the table between two patients? And uh, you know all these kind of details are very important for us because when we design the uh, experimental condition, we have to cover all the aspects of uh, his practice to yeah. be as close as possible to what he, he uh, usually does, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. So we try to be as close as possible to what he uh, actually does. Then we negotiate with him the uh, experimental conditions. And when he's uh, okay with that, mm -hmm. uh, one thing that we do is, uh, that's very important is we perform a dry test. We find ourselves in the experimental condition. And we, like for instance, the, the thing that he would claim was, um, I can heal people. But what we said is we try to narrow uh, his claim to something that's even more uh, easier. Uh, like, but before healing people, can you like detect people? Can you, mm -hmm. would you be able to detect whether someone is standing behind a, a, a blind curtain uh, or, or not, you know, and say, well, you know, that's the real, that, that's the, the, the basis for him. It was like a, so obvious to, to do that. Uh, it was not even a question. So, okay, well, you know, we said that if we could do that, that would be a, a real big step forward for us. So, uh, said, okay, if we place a person behind a curtain and you have to know whether or not she's standing behind that curtain, do you think you can do that? He said, well, that's very obvious, okay? So what we said is, uh, we're going to try that, but we're going to make sure that the conditional experiment that we set up uh, are okay for you. So we're going to show you that we're going to place someone behind this curtain and we're going to ask you to validate the fact that you can actually feel this person. So mm -hmm. we were like... 10 of them, 10 of us um, in, in the room. He scanned every one of us and he chose uh, the, the, the person that has the strongest signal. Uh, we didn't care whether or not the person was really in pain or not. The question, the, the thing is uh, for him, it was the most obvious signal that he could feel. It was like my, uh, my, uh, my ex-wife was like, um, he could feel a, a signal in the back of her, in, a, in a, the lower back. And he said, okay, if we take this person and place her behind a curtain, can you still feel her? Because, the, you know, the curtain could block the signal or something. And uh, so he put his hands and said, okay, I can still feel her. And then we have to make sure that when the person is gone, so we show him that the person is gone, can you feel that the signal has disappeared? Because it could have been uh, imprinted in the, in, the, in the curtain, you know? Oh, and, uh, Okay. And we have to make sure that the signal is gone, okay? And that's the, the, the dry run, you know, the, the, the blank test, basically, uh, to make sure that the, conditional exper the, the, the experimental condition that we've set up are, are actually fine, you know? Because if you don't do that, uh, you always run uh, onto the possibility for the guy to go like, yeah, but, you know, maybe the curtain was too thick and uh, the signal was not passing fine, uh, well enough. And um, we make sure that, you know, we repeating the stuff uh, a couple of times, you can see the person is behind and you can 
feel the person and that when the person's gone, uh, the signal has disappeared. So um, he cannot challenge anymore uh, the, the experimental condition because he has validated them uh, prior to running the experiment. When we have done, once we have done that, uh, what we tell him is, uh, okay, now we're going to do the exact same thing, but you won't be able to tell. Uh, no one will know. Uh, whether or not the person is behind the curtain. So we actually have two groups, one group behind the curtain, the other one on, on the other side of the curtain, and uh, one group that randomized the, uh, the, the experiments. So basically we flip coins and, uh, to decide whether or not the, the, the person has to stand behind the curtain, and the other group uh, you know, knocks on the, on, on, on the wall or something. Uh, we actually have a, a beeper, electronic beeper, that always makes the same noise you know, to make mm -hmm. sure that you cannot code a message uh, using a knocking, you know, like a knocking harder when the person is here or something. And, um, and when we do that, um, the person stands behind the curtain or not, and the, per and, uh, and the person that's being tested uh, comes and, and have to say, uh, I can feel the person or I, I do not feel the person. And he doesn't say that. He actually makes a sign with his hands uh, and, and his uh, assesses will uh, note that on the paper. And uh, the whole experiment is repeated a hundred times. So we did that. It, it took about two or three hours to, uh, to go through the whole test. Uh, to do that a hundred times, and um, and at the end of the experiment, we seal the envelopes on both sides. Means the psychic killer uh, was uh, like uh, had the, the result of his test in an envelope, and the person that was on the other side of the curtain uh, would also have an envelope saying, um, "On the first test, I was behind. On the second test, I was not behind." Yeah. Okay, and and we gather the two teams, and at this point. That's one very uh, important uh, thing that we do, and uh, we ask him what what is the score that he actually ex uh, expects. Mm -hmm. You know, because the guy could say something like, uh, "You know, I was really fresh at the beginning, but then I got tired," or right the opposite. You know, saying like, um, it "Took me time to warm up." Yeah, yeah, I was not really into it at the beginning, but then I felt better. So um, actually, we we ask the guy, "What's the score that you expect?" And and most of the time, what the guy says, "Well, I expect for me the signal was very clear." Uh, from the beginning to the end, you know, I had no, uh, no, no hesitation whatsoever during the test, uh, and and uh, the score that I expect is a hundred percent. Most of the time, they say that, and uh, so we discuss, we we make them validate the experiments after the experiments, but before we know the results, and that's very important because they have no fallback, you know, saying they have no excuses then to say, you know, I didn't feel so good uh, for me. It was it was tough. And uh, and um, when the guy says uh, claims that he, he he expects to have a like everything right, a hundred out of a hundred, we tell him that, he, you know, we, we don't expect so much from him, like a pure chance would give one chance out of two. And um, so obviously, if, it's, uh, if uh, the score is 50, uh, it wouldn't be a success. But the, the probability of having 49.51 or 48.52 also exists. And the score that we're going to consider as a, a, a success is uh, if the, the score that he obtains uh, has less chance than 1%. And for this kind of situation, that would be, uh, I think, 63 success, 63 or 65 success. Uh, you have you you have less uh, you have less than 1% of chance to make uh, more than uh, 63 uh, head when you uh, actually flip a coin you know 
So we actually negotiate this uh, score uh, before we run the experiment. So we, we, we tell them, do you, is it okay for you? Do you think you can make more than uh, 63? If the guy says yes, uh, we actually do the experiment. If the guy says no, obviously, you know, if, uh, if his claim is in the domain of pure chance, uh, there's, there's just nothing to test, you know. <clears throat> but the guy generally agrees with that, and um, and then when uh, when everything is agreed and the person has confirmed that the the experimental condition were not only right but uh, a posteriori uh, were uh, good for them, we actually uh, open the envelopes and and check for the score. And that's a very intense moment at this point, you know, because since the experiment is double blind, no one knows what to expect. Yeah, and the first time we've done the experiment, that was really tense for us, and that that was a, a great moment because uh, out of the first uh, series of ten, the guy actually found um, nine time out of ten, pretty good score. Yeah, it is, <laughs> and uh, I'd, I'd say yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's I mean uh, that's uh, almost he's got powers. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, if if he's going this the same way for the nine, uh, nine other series of ten, uh, that's going to be a really a big hit for him. Like he's going to have ninety. Instead of uh, which would be much more than the 65 that we expect, and um, the reason why we, you know, that's one of the conditions also that we do is uh, if you don't take this uh, safety step, as I mentioned before, uh, asking the guy what's his claim, uh, if, if the experiment was good for him or, or, or bad. Uh, the guy could say, you know, I was really good at the beginning, and I was tired at the end. And but you know, if you take the only, if you take only the 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 the, the first uh, three series, it become uh, it become significant. You know, if you go and pick and choose the score that were fine to uh, to refine your experiment, so you. You, you always end up with a with a, a positive experiment. So uh, and um, so the the fact that we. Um, uh, Test the, exper- the, the the make him acknowledge the fact that we are only going to consider the full experiment, and not on, and not be able to uh, pick and choose uh, the beginning or the end or the middle of the experiment. Uh, the fact that we make him acknowledge that in advance um, is very important to make sure that there is no contest uh, possible uh, contest at the uh, end of the experiment. Yeah. And uh, and when we uh, unwrap the whole test, uh, his score uh, final score was uh, 55. So not significant uh, at all. It's all started so well, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know that was a big disappointment for for all of us because uh, you know we, we that's one thing we do at the Observatoire Zetetique also is um, we want to make sure that uh, people consider the uh, eventuality of a failure uh, before we run the experiment. Mm-hmm. If we discuss with the person and we realize that you know this practice is uh, his job and it would be uh, psychologically very violent for him to uh, run into a failure. Yeah, uh, we'd rather not do the experiment than place him in a in a in a mentally uh, difficult situation. Mm. So if we if we discuss with the person and and for the person is just out of question that it's a failure, uh, we'd rather not do the experiment than ruin his life. Uh, so yeah. do you experience that a lot? I mean, do you get that answer a lot? No, not that no. much actually. Okay. Uh, we we no we we don't we don't do that many tests since uh, some of the time it's uh you know w- one of the last person who contacted us uh, made an experiment that was really crazy. The guy think that um, when you uh, he actually uh, roll dice, okay, and mm-hmm. when he uh, either he looks at the dice 
or he does not look at the dice, but he's got a camera that's filming them. And and what he noticed that um, he he's then uh, looking at the camera and writing down the values of the dice, and uh, he does um, a test called key uh, deux in French. I don't know I don't know the word in English, and uh, basically a mathematic test to uh, to check whether or not the uh, dice is properly balanced, uh, is not rigged, mm -hmm. and. Um, What he sees uh, in, his, in his experiment is that uh, when he looks at the dice, uh, it's perfectly random. But when he does not look at the dice, but the camera is doing it for him and uh, run this uh, test, he's got something that is, uh, it, 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 it's like the dice uh, is rigged. Uh, pretty much like if God didn't uh, bother to uh, actually uh, perform uh, uh, clean random uh, when no one's watching, you know. Mm. And the guy uh, showed us the, his, uh, his test. And that was one of the uh, most amazing tests that I've seen because most of the time people who are doing tests on their own have very poor conditions. But his conditions were just excellent. But uh, excellent. I, I don't know how he could have done things better on his own. And uh, he actually rolled the dice 64,000 times. Wow. Sheesh, that's a lot of time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And he's done worse than that since. <laughs> uh, he's uh, reproduced the experiments a bunch of time. But the thing is, you know, it's hard for us to uh, to um, to run experiments for these kind of conditions because I hardly see myself talking to my boss and say, you know, can I take a month of holidays to, to see a guy rolling dice all day long? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You are a member of the European Council of Skeptical Organizations. In fact, uh, you even organized a symposium for EXO in Grenoble yeah. in 2008. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you must be aware that there are a couple of other uh, organizations across Europe doing similar experiments. Um, do you collaborate with any of those organizations abroad? No, no, it's really a shame. We, we, we're... Um... We spend so much time trying to uh, already organize the uh, the uh, the different skeptic movements in France and uh, and like running experiment like uh, revisit uh, rebuilding our website and uh, you know taking care of the uh, francophone uh, Facebook page and uh, all these kind of things that we uh, actually have spent very little time uh, having connections with the um, with the uh, other countries yeah. and even though you know the fact that uh, I'm I'm likely to be the person who's Picks the best English in the in the uh, in the in the whole uh, uh, observatory aesthetic uh, makes it difficult for us to uh, have discussions that are um, fluent and clean uh, in a, in the, mm. that kind of um, uh, and and we rarely have the occasion to see them actually. Mm. Yeah. But there is, there is another French organization among the members of EXO. Uh, how often do you collaborate with them? It's the Association Française pour l'Information Scientifique. Yeah, the AFIS. Yeah, the AFIS. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have contact with them. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the, the president of the uh, AFIS is, um, is in Grenoble, where the Observatoire Zététique is. Mm. Uh, she comes to our conferences, and we have like a, a summer camp uh, every year. Uh, and, and she's invited and she comes. And some of the members of the Observatoire Zététique also writes articles for the... Um, For the for the FEs, so we we yeah we know them pretty well yeah. What about the uh, Laboratoire Zététique in Nice at the University of Nice? Uh, do you have any connection to them, or you work absolutely in separate ways? 
Well, the the Laboratoires Zetetiques uh, is a universe, uh, university structure, yeah. and uh, th you know that's a very official uh, official structure, and and that was actually the the, the very first one uh, in France, and uh, like we 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 own them a lot. Uh, I mean, the reason why I'm doing Zetetico today is uh, uh, basically thanks to uh, to 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 them. Uh, it's uh, Henri Brock, the guy I was talking about earlier. Uh, who actually uh, set up this lab, and uh, the thing is, uh, is uh, getting older now, and um, mm. and uh, he's uh, retiring, so uh, the lab is uh, is uh, closing now. But there are some uh, friends of the uh, laboratoire who who uh, are actually uh, trying to take over uh, to to keep that uh, structure alive. I mean, like at least you know recover from uh, like uh, archive all the files and uh, all the stuff that were done and make sure they are still available. Um, but yes, we have connection with them. Yeah, good. Yeah. So uh, that uh, works more like a research unit, like like the one in at uh, Goldsmith College, uh, the uh, anomalistic psychology research unit led by Chris French in the UK. Uh, so is it something similar to that? Uh, I would say so. Yes, uh, because okay. the, uh, mostly it's. Um, it's it's a lab because they are they actually tested some guys uh, yeah. for for a while. Uh, some rich guy proposed some money to make sure that uh, if you if you want if you want to <laughs> good <laughs> like pretty much the James Bond the Educational Foundation. You know they propose a million dollar cool. to uh, any guy who wants to be tested and uh, and and in France it was uh, two hundred thousand euros mm -hmm. uh, if you could pass a test and um, uh, no one ever. Uh, want the money surprise surprise uh, unfortunately yeah yeah basically one of the scope of the uh, of the lab is also to uh, to teach critical thinking at universities so they have lectures about critical thinking and uh, and that's uh, most of the activity of the lab actually so you mentioned events like conferences are there any upcoming conferences that you are organizing or would like to promote uh, yes, we are um, doing conferences in in the area in uh, in uh, in Grenoble. Uh, actually, the the, the cities that uh, surround Grenoble uh, contacted us, and and they are interested and curious about the the, the programs that we propose, and uh, people are very enthusiastic about uh, what we do, and. Um, so basically, we've been running like a three years in a row, um, a series of uh, four conferences a year. And, uh, and now we changed in another city, but we are still doing these kind of programs, yeah. So um, next, uh, I don't have my schedule in front of me, but, uh, but yes, we have, a, we have a, a two more conferences to give before the end of, uh, um, before the summer arrives. And uh, then I'm going to Skeptic in the Pub in uh, Brussels in, um, in May. And, uh, and we respond to an uh, invitation almost everywhere in France. So every once in a while, you, some, we, you can see the Observatoire Zetetique uh, a bit everywhere in France. Will we perhaps see you uh, personally at the European Skeptics Congress in Rockslav or perhaps in QED in Manchester next, uh, this year? 
Um, maybe that would be possible. Yeah, the thing is, uh, we 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 see the program uh, at every occurrence. We we we, we see it. The the thing is, we, we try to to set up a little team to uh, actually go there. But it's the logistic is a little funny sometimes, or maybe we are not yeah. uh, available because our uh, all of our respective job. But we we did the efforts on the first time we created the Observatory Zetetic. We actually uh, attended the uh, and uh, even gave a speech at the. Uh, um, exobitic that was at the uh, at Brussels, yeah, mm. in Belgium. Yeah, <laughs> we went there and we had the occasion to see uh, Chris French and uh, and all the uh, yeah. uh, Bayerstein, who's dead now. But we had the occasion to to meet a, a bunch of a um, of a European skeptic at the occasion. That was a long time ago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was really a long time ago. Yeah, well, that's like yeah. two thousand five. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what are your plans for the future, uh, and how can our listeners contact uh, you if they like to, and where they can follow uh, the work of the uh, organization? Um, well, you're saying in English or in French? <laughs> um, I guess, I guess in both. But I, I think I'm aware that you probably have only French content available at the moment. Yes, uh, unfortunately, yes. Uh, and, and and it's even worse than that. Is uh, we, we've had a couple of, uh, of people contacting us to translate the articles that we write to make them to make sure that they are also available in English. But we have very little follow up on this uh, on this uh, on this item, and, uh, and it's really a shame because. Uh, some of the work uh, that we've done are very um, original or unique and uh, and would be worth uh, translated and uh, and should spill in the uh, in the um, skeptic organization and uh, uh, we haven't have enough follow up on this uh, on this topic to make sure that the the job is actually done and that's really a shame from us yeah. Ah, so there we have a call out for our listeners. If anybody's, you know, fluent in French and English, there's a job for you. Oh yes, oh yes, <laughs> that would be more than welcome. Yeah. That would be cool. Well, you have quite a quite a large pool to reach anyway. Um, according to the, the French government's website, there are 220 million French speakers worldwide. So, <laughs> Yes, uh, the, the, the thing is, uh, we, with uh, Facebook, we realized uh, only recently that uh, a lot of people from uh, North Africa actually uh, follow the Francophone Skeptic uh, movement. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of people from <laughs> Algeria, Tunisia, and uh, and Morocco actually uh, uh, read the uh, Zetetic page on uh, on uh, Facebook. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, we are more than a uh, fourteen thousand, I think now mm. on the group. That's mm. very nice. I'm th- that's that's an impressive number. Yeah. Yeah. Great. But this show has been in english and uh this is this is what we're gonna try to do in the future as well trying to reach all the different countries and all the different cultures in english so uh for being available today for this interview uh i would really like to thank you uh oh you're welcome that was a great thing that we did this um it's been a long while that that we've uh we've planned to have someone from france yeah finally on the show (laughs) yeah so that was really a pleasure, and uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to meeting you, and I think we uh, we should really we we ought to make an effort to uh, to um, to get better contact relations and more uh, regular contacts and uh, regarding uh, you know the, the the work that we do, and uh, yeah. we could be like uh, inspired from your work as much as you could be inspired by ours, and I, I think it's really worth uh, sending up bridges to make sure that we uh, we collaborate more often. Okay, you touched on the best string, actually. Building bridges. Building on what you said. Um, uh, the If you feel or you want us to mention anything, any work you do, 
uh, or some news that y- you'll f- you think will be useful for our listeners uh, across Europe, give us a shout um, and uh, we can plug it in our show, uh, talk about it, you know, w- whatever, just to, to keep you guys, um, well, <laughs> to give you a, a hand and, and help you. And uh, uh, yeah, that's why we're here, basically. Yeah. Sure, we'll do that, yeah. Yeah. And uh, one thing is, uh, I think that's really important is uh, one of the guy in the uh, in the Observatory Zetetic made a, a YouTube channel uh, called uh, Hygiene Mental. And uh, it's um, it's a mental hygiene. And um, and his uh, his content is truly, truly amazing. And uh, he's doing really a, a, a great job and he's having more and more followers every day. And um, and I think his content is so good that it's really worth uh, translating in English. And uh, if someone was willing to uh, like get the graphical content or something and uh, translate it in English and uh, re-upload the videos or just like subtitle the videos on the YouTube page, uh, that would be I think that would be a tremendous amount of uh, of uh, um, that wouldn't be much of a work, but that would that would have really a big impact, I think. Yeah, yeah that's why um, translating subtitles is a, a very good um, international project idea. I mean, uh, that could be done in many, many different languages. And it's the best way to, to make something that was made in a different language available to your own people. Mm-hmm. So... Um, this has been all we had time for, I'm afraid, but we're really looking forward to, to seeing you, meeting you in person at some point, uh, somewhere around Europe. That'd be great, yeah. Great. So, Florent Martin, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, you. Thanks so much. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, it's so great to know that uh, there are so many... Because we, we've we've heard about a couple of couple of those groups and organizations that do those investigations and that is definitely the way to go i mean that doesn't render outright skeptical activism and debunking useless or obsolete but it's a very important piece of work that they're doing yeah yeah i also like their approach um in terms of you know not pissing anybody off not yeah being confrontational, making sure they collaborate with those who claim to have powers, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very glad to hear, hear from uh, the French community actually because I I've known for many years that they're there, but it's very hard <laughs> to to yeah. to hear something, and and, and 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 they're a big community. There's a lot of French-speaking uh, people in the world, so they are not always reaching out outside of that. So it's good to get an insight on what's going on. Yeah. And if they need a forum, um, an English speaking forum as well, that's what we're here for. So more than happy to help. All right. I think this has been all that we could uh, fit in the episode, our 64th episode. So I'd like to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> and until next week. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. 
Join us again next time. But until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Ah Mm. <laughs> there are there are those events that we do want to promote <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> now everybody's looking at Pontus like Pontus come on yeah come on yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> don't laugh <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to focus now the DEF the EFT. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna Google that. Will we perhaps see you in the European Congress of what's it called? <laughs> European Skeptics Congress. <laughs> I'll try again, just to give Anders something to edit out. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs>